As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, May 8th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we will discuss the very strange situation that started to play out over the weekend in St. Louis. Wilson Contreras isn't going to be a catcher for a little while, a long while. It's kind of hard to tell because for a moment it looked like he was going to be an outfielder slash DH, and then a day later he wasn't going to play in the outfield at all. So I don't know if the Cardinals know for sure what Wilson Contreras is going to do, but we're going to talk about that situation uh, we got a few other roster moves. Luis Ortiz, a favorite of Eno, is going to be up this week. He's going to take the place of the injured Vince Velasquez in the Pirates rotation, so that's pretty exciting. Christopher Morell, looks like he's coming back up for the Cubs. And then we have a ton of great mailbag questions. Trying to catch up with the mailbag. Mailbag Monday, I guess we'll call it, since it's you know May 8th and we needed some content, which is always nice. <laughs> nice to be able to fall back on that one when, uh, when the, the current of the game doesn't just throw us into... Uh, the topics that we're going to talk about. But we'll begin with Wilson Contreras. In year one of a five-year deal, in month two of year one of a five-year deal, where he was brought in to replace Yadier Molina, which was pretty much an impossible task for any catcher anyway, the Cardinals are moving away from Contreras as a catcher for the time being. They're going to have him sit in a meetings and still try and sort some things out. And the main issue is apparently game calling. That's the problem the Cardinals have. And, you know, they've got a few folks quoted as saying he's not the reason things are going this way there are other problems with the team which yeah we know but the thing that doesn't make any sense is I saw a Ken Rosenthal story back in February where John Mozeliak acknowledged the issues that the Cubs had with Wilson Contreras's game calling and yet they signed out this five-year deal anyway so this seems like another bizarro move by the Cardinals front office that could have been avoided, much like their logjam in the outfield. There could have been things done prior to the start of the season that would have enabled them to shuffle things around a bit more easily. I think the big question I have for you, you know, is is Wilson Contreras going to hit enough to just be a DH for the foreseeable future for the Cardinals? Do we trust the bat enough for him to be productive and and be an above average option for them? I mean, for fantasy purposes, he's already catcher eligible, so it doesn't hurt anytime soon, but this is a really unusual development. 
Yeah, I think he's. Yeah, I think he's good enough. Uh, the barrels have, have fallen off a little bit, but the raw power is still there, and it's a pretty good combination of barrels and strikeout rate. I mean, there's not a lot of people who can barrel over ten percent and strike out less than league average. So he's on a good list of players. It's a little bit of a, a short start for him, but if you actually look, it's something that's been sort of endemic to the rest of the offense. And if you look under the hood. You know, St. Louis is top 10 in WRC+. Plus. Uh, they're top 10 in barrels. Uh, you know, they, they don't chase that much. Like, they're doing the right things, and then they're 20th and run scored. So, uh, to some extent, uh, I think this is panicking uh, when they should have stayed the course. Um, yes, he definitely has a negative impact on uh, the pitching staff, at least compared to Yadier Molina. Uh, but the, the impact is, is such that if they were to continue, if the trends were to continue in framing, um, Contreras would cost the Cardinals about one win over Yadier Molina for the whole season. So, uh, that's one win, uh, we're the other (laughs) 10 that they're missing. Right. And, uh, and that I put the blame pretty squarely on a starting rotation that, uh, many public analysts, not just ourselves here, uh, you know, this podcast and Katie and I's uh, article, you know, preseason article, many public analysts, uh, had this pegged as a, a real problem for the Cardinals was a pitch to contact staff and philosophy at a time when the shift rules were changing. Can't put that on Contreras. Now, game calling. There was once a game calling piece by Harry Pavlidis and company uh, on ESPN. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm going to try and ca- I'm going to try to get it up, but uh, um, it's, it's, it's hard to find. Uh, but uh, they found uh, a way to sort of measure uh, uh, game callers. And uh, they found that the best were uh, pretty valuable. A.J. Ellis uh, was the leader in total runs saved by game calling from 2012 to 2014. And uh, he had 38 runs saved. Now, that's 38 runs saved over three seasons, right? And that's the very best guy. So 38 runs uh, over uh, three seasons is uh, more like 13 over one season. And 13 runs is class, class, one win. <laughs> so the very best game caller was worth a win. Uh, going from Yachty to Wilson Contreras is worth another win. So those are two wins that are missing. This team is missing a lot more than two wins. And if you think about it, the best idea would have been to leave Contreras at uh, behind the plate for two reasons. How is he going to learn game calling? I guess the idea is he's going to stand next to coaches and then learn how to game call from the dugout. That's this is something I've heard. Uh, maybe that works, but uh, really, like if you think about it uh, in terms of a fantasy team, let's say you have a fantasy team, the offense is scuffling, you know, and you have this idea. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make some changes. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna drop some guys. The very worst thing you can do is be like, I'm gonna drop Nolan Arenado. You know right. what I mean? The player that's most likely to dig you out of the hole is the one is who's the furthest Nolan in the hole. Arenado, yeah. right? Even if you adjust the rest of the season projection based on what's happened so far, there is a very good chance that he is clearly better than any and all players that have been available on your waiver wire so far. 
Yeah, and if you need this team to slug going forward, then you, you just, like, Kneiser, Kneiser, and you say Kisner, huh? Isn't it Kisner? Kisner. It's it's tricky. What it's I think it's Kisner. Kisner is not the answer uh, for is in terms of like how much upside you know. If if like if you really truly think that it is all game calling, then yeah, make the make the choice. But um, it does reek to me of um, scapegoating. It certainly looks that way. And with Contreras, I mean, he's a 30-year-old veteran catcher. Like This like seems like something knew, you would do with a rookie. Yeah, and also you knew this stuff. You knew all this coming in. Maybe they signed him thinking, well, worst case scenario, he's an outfielder for us. Well, that lasted no days. I don't think he would be a good outfielder, though. Like, I mean... And it's not like he's going to play first base for you. Maybe they just thought he would DH. They, they were signing a, a catcher who would catch for them for a year or two and then DH the rest of the contract. But then that's sort of incongruent with the idea that Nolan Gorman was going to play a lot. There just seems like, yeah, there seems planning. Poor planning. It seems like poor planning. I know I dunk on the Rockies and some of the, <laughs> the low-hanging fruit out there. And I don't, I don't make fun of these teams because I think I'm smarter than everybody in the front office. I think... The things that bother me are the elementary logic failures. And that's what this is. This is just basic common sense of if we do this, these things need to be right. And I think that's where the Cardinals have really been making some pretty big mistakes. Now, I'm with you on the bat with Contreras. I mean, you look at some of the projections for him. The bat X in particular has a pretty aggressive, positive projection for Wilson Contreras as a hitter. And if you start to think about him as more of an everyday guy, as opposed to someone that needs to take days off because he's catching, might be a you can scale that up. <laughs> yeah, it might actually be good for his fantasy value. He might hit 270 with 20 homers and five stolen bases here on out. That, that, that's not a number that a lot of people are, are going to catch. No, and I think if you think about it in the context of how much playing time most catchers get, he'd be an exceed on that side. And he's <laughs> caught more than 20 games already this season, so he's already catcher eligible for but next year. But he has year. to push Gorman into the field and their defense has fallen from sort of top three to five to top ten. And that might cost you just as much as you save <laughs> in game calling and framing and everything else behind the plate. So it's the scene from Vegas Vacation when Clark starts to break the, the Hoover Dam and he just he takes the piece of gum and he covers one hole and then <laughs> starts leaking somewhere else. Yeah. That's what the Cardinals are doing right now. I mean, you still got these pitchers pitching to this catcher, right? <laughs> Did, yeah, did you change anything? Did you even bring up Matthew Liebertor? No. Oh, okay. What buttons are you going to... What's the next button you're going to push? It's probably the Liebertor button. I'm not sure that that button is is saving anybody's butt, though. Well, that's not going to save everything. If if Liebertor is replacing Jake Woodford, yes, that's an upgrade. Mm-hmm. By the way, the Zach Thompson thing is hilarious. They, they took a lefty that was uh, doing okay in the bullpen and uh, sent him down to stretch him out. Um, and the idea is maybe stretch him out to start this year or maybe next year. <laughs> um, anyway, this is also a guy with a really poor fastball and the worst, uh, stuff plus in the, uh, in the, uh, in the, in the whole Cardinals like staff. <laughs> you know? So I, uh, I don't really understand what's going on there. Um, and I don't think that, uh, they're doing the right things over there. I did want to give a quick shout out uh, to my mom. She just finished uh, one leg of an ultra marathon on Sunday. Wow! So she she did she she did thirty six miles. 
uh, in 19 hours. Uh, and, okay, that's uh, a lot. Has some bruises and and muscle spasms to, to show for it, but uh, uh, sent me a picture uh, of a sign that literally said, only one marathon to go. Not kidding, is what the sign <laughs> says. That's so, <laughs> uh, uh, quite the accomplishment. And I think, you know, the relevancy for baseball is, this thing is a marathon and they're acting, the Cardinals are acting like they can sprint their way out of it, I feel like. It's a five-year deal. You want them to catch for some of it. And, and changing this right now just creates more problems later. I think this ends with some sort of trade where Wilson Contreras and a big pile of cash goes back to the Rockies. This is a chance for the Rockies to swoop in and right the wrongs the Cubs, Cubs could of use the Nolan Arnauto trade. Oh, the, the Cubs can get him back. The, the Cubs are, are, are just brought up Miguel Amaya. Do you think it's is it for good or is was the corresponding move an injury? Jan Gomes is Jan hurt Gomes right is now. Hurt, yeah. Gomes and Barnhart are clearly just, you know, the kinds of veterans you use until someone like Amaya's ready. Yeah. Amaya's a good defender. He's healthy again. He was striking out a lot at double A to begin this season. There's always been some Way swing more and than miss. Usual. I like him. I, I think he's a, a pretty interesting player from a fantasy perspective. Actually, I just had a monthly supplemental draft with Ryan Bloomfield last night where we took Miguel Amaya because we're playing for the future. I don't think he's up for good. Unless he hits a ton, but he could be back up again later this season. I think he's a good longer term add in leagues where especially we got to start two catchers. I don't know if he's going to be a short term single catcher league guy. I think he's a little more borderline for that. It's like 230, 240 with maybe just a tick under league average power, maybe maybe league average power. Right. But the glove should keep him in the lineup a lot when he's up. So I think that's uh, part of what I like about Miguel Amaya. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, with the Cardinals and the pitching, Jack Flaherty. I finally was cutting Jack Flaherty in some leagues, you know, and I was looking back and you know, what made Jack Flaherty good between 2018 and, and 2021, back when he had those four straight years with a sub four Sierra and had good swinging strike rates, had a strikeout rate in the upper 20% range and, and good enough control, even though he had some home run issues. It was, it all worked, right? And of course, the Cardinals defense did a good job helping the whole staff at that time. The Velo is only down slightly. But he is just not the same guy, and it's amazing to me. The pitching model does not think that Jack Flaherty has a good pitch, and that makes him droppable, at least in shallow leagues. 12-team leagues, if you find something better, go ahead, make a move. Is there a case to drop him in deeper leagues, and is there a chance that a different organization could fix Jack Flaherty? Because if you're the Cardinals, and this season turns into a lost season, Flaherty's probably on the list of names that other teams would be asking about. 
Yeah, I wonder, the model never really loved him, and so I wonder if there there is something here is missing about him. Get this sort of shades of uh, of Robbie Ray, where it's like uh, a good fastball slider combo, and he really focuses on those and pitches them a ton, and so even though it looks league average-ish, it works. But there has been some degrading of stuff, even from when he was uh, really good. Like when he was at his best, his slider was almost 85, it was 85 miles an hour, and now it's under 84. And that is the kind of on-off switch a little bit for breaking balls. 85 is a magic number for sliders. Um, so dropping underneath it uh, reduces the effectiveness there. And then we we knew that he wasn't um, someone that had uh, plus wiggle. I mean, this is the, the worst... Uh, sideways movement he's ever had on his fastballs uh, but he also never had plus ride you know and this is the worst ride he's ever had on his fastball so the movement and velo changes seem subtle but they're all in the category of worst you know what I mean like so whatever you thought of Jack Flaherty before you should think less of him now uh, there's nothing really pointing to under the hood saying Oh, well, at least he's doing this right. And that's weird because the strikeout rate is okay. The swing and strike rate is okay. Um, the K minus BB is not, though. Um, and I think that there's enough in that walk rate, enough in that stuff model for me to say I, I'm not interested. And it's pretty wild. Zip says he can do a 373 ERA with more than the strikeout per inning. And the bat says, no, he's a 4-7 guy with a one three eight whip and less than a strikeout burning. And I will lean much closer to that the bat projection for Jack Flaherty. I rarely see ranges that big. <laughs> it's got to be one of the biggest. It gives you an idea that teams will probably be interested, though, in some capacity. Whether the Cardinals keep him all year. He's a free agent at the end of the season. so I think he would thrive uh, if you put him into short relief, even like a two-inning thing. Because if you could just push that slider above 85 and just make him purely fastball slider uh, and probably push, I think any other team would probably push the slider percentage to like 35, 40%. Uh, there's something to be done with with what he can do. Yeah, and that's so, I mean, that's, that goes beyond even game calling. That's an organizational decision. That's not like a thing you just decide in the moment, but uh, that is surprising we had a, a former cardinals pitcher uh, on twitter telling stories about how uh he got competing directives uh from his coaches you know the 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 um the local uh the the, the director of player development would come in and say oh throw down the middle we're trying to we're pitching efficiency and command and get through the inning um and then his pitching coach would pull him aside and say no no, no. the nerds tell us that we want to strike out people and i agree with them and let's let's work on strikeout stuff so uh competing directives is not good he said uh, also that he had coaches that had no idea how to use trackman and uh uh and the data the tech that they had so uh that's something i've heard before uh the throw down the middle i'm agnostic on that actually because if you have good stuff throwing down the middle is a great plan uh, you know, there's a ton of coaches out there who are stuffists, quote unquote, who believe in throwing great stuff down the middle uh, and, and letting batters get themselves out. And also just having, you know, because they don't believe that command is that fine. They say, you know, aim for the middle of the zone and your stuff will basically take it to the edges. You know what I mean? Uh, so I'm agnostic about that part, but it's never good to hear competing directives and it's never good to hear that. Um, and, and, you know, actually the tech thing is another competing directive, right? That's the, that's the player development guy being like, put track man everywhere. 
and the coach is being like, I don't know what this thing is. <laughs> That's a competing directive in a way. So, um, you know, I think there's, and this was maybe information that's maybe two or three years old. He's out of baseball now, this pitcher. Um, and, uh, and so I think there's just organizational inertia when you're trying to turn a ship around, you know, uh, they have, they have with the Cardinals way, they have this tanker, this huge tanker. And to turn, uh, that tanker around is going to take some time. So, um, I don't really see great evidence. Libertor has been better, but he still has sub 100 stuff lost in the minors. And, you know, my first conversation ever with Libertor was about how you ha he quote unquote said you have to take your career into your own hands. Um, and so he was more about, you know, what does my private lab tell me about what I should be doing with my pitches more than so than even what his Cardinals coaches were telling him. So. Uh, you know, that's uh, that I think that they're in trouble. And so, you know, I don't think uh, Zach Thompson is the answer. I don't think Jake Woodford is the answer. Um, maybe a healthy Steven Matz and a healthy Jordan Montgomery gives them uh, two kind of middle of the rotation pitchers. Um, you know, Miles Michaelis has always been a command guy that can, you know, have a poor year or have a good year. I don't think Wainwright is really the answer, but. Um, He's, he still has an elite pitch. So I would say that they have one number three and three number fives. And that's the problem. Yeah, and I think with Yachty, maybe you could round all those guys up a spot. And without Yachty, they're going to pitch to their true talent are. level. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe a shade worse. But I, I, don't think, I don't think I need to even go there. I think just being even their true talent selves is part of the problem for the Cardinals right now. They got to give Libertor another shot. 22.6% K minus BD percentage so far at AAA this year. Just sounds like the stuff is up a little better. At the cost of Woodford shoulder inflammation this weekend. But the corresponding move for that, I guess, was Wainwright coming up. So right now it's Wainwright. It's going to be Matt's, I guess. And Matt's just had a decent start, right? Matt's allowed one run. Five and a third, two, two K's against the Tigers. Against the Tigers. Who would you uh, demote? Matt's. Woodford is the one with options, but he's hurt. Well, yeah, Woodford, you already made the room for Woodford with the, the Wainwright swap, but I, I think Matt's is the next one out. And it's another, it's a longer term deal, right? Yeah. It's awful. Just I, I didn't like that deal either. No, that, that was not... Um, it was not one of my favorites. A couple other news-related things to get to here real quick. Luis Ortiz coming up Tuesday, stepping in for Vince Velasquez. And I guess the only question is, does everything look as good so far with Ortiz at AAA as it did late last season when he was really popping as someone we were going to be interested in for this season? No, and I can't figure out why. It's <laughs> very strange. Good. I know. It's very strange. I am. I am... I would love to have him on my bench not pitching for the first start. I want to get some major league stuff plus numbers. There are some issues with the data in the minor leagues that uh, makes it less reliable. Uh, right now he has a 97 stuff plus with a 96 location plus. We knew the locations weren't great for him. But I had real hope that this is a guy who would outstuff it because he had really good stuff numbers last year. Uh, and you can see in his numbers really nice swing strike rates, you know, uh, and pretty pretty good strikeout rates too. I mean, he had a a thirty percent in A ball, twenty nine percent in Triple A. Like those are good. Those are really good strikeout rates. So um, 
I'm uh, I'm betting on him, but I don't want necessarily want to start him until I figure out why he has a 97 stuff plus in AAA this year. And I'm pretty sure it's right. It says Luis L. Ortiz, and this guy's Luis L. Ortiz. There's like five Luis Ortiz's. It's really awful. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. But yeah, I think uh, I, I, I have my eye on him, and uh, he's somebody I liked better than Oviedo going in. Uh, interestingly, Oviedo seemed to regress towards what the model said he was uh, as soon as I thought maybe I had him wrong. <laughs> Trust your model, I guess, is the, is the real answer. Uh, Oviedo has decent swinging strike rates, but just can't seem to put it together. Yeah, what's strange is with Oviedo, I would guess many people, well, I think it was maybe part of a two-start week, but at Colorado may have been missed if you had the option to. Home against the Dodgers, you probably avoided that. That was four earned over five and a third. At Washington, though, was a streaming spot. Anyone and everyone who was interested would have used him there, and he got smoked. And then home against Toronto might have been one where you would have pulled back, especially after he got hit with the Nationals. But it's been a a bumpy ride here these last couple of weeks for Oviedo. Even though the the strikeouts have been there overall, just just below a K per inning. Only three homers allowed in 37 innings, but it's really just the, the inconsistency with the control that seems to be a problem. Yeah, and the, in the last three starts, though, like even the strikeouts aren't there, although you can lose strikeouts because of control as well. Yeah, so that could be it. But, uh, you know, ever since that uh, one game at St. Louis where we all sort of declared him arrived, uh, you know, he has, uh, and that, that game at Colorado, so the week... The week everyone picked him up since then, he's given up 17 runs in 12 innings uh, with eight strikeouts. It's very strange. Other promotions, it sounds like Christopher Morell's on his way back up. And yeah, I think that's confirmed now by Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com. Morell has been Do tearing we know the what the corresponding the move is yet? I've not seen it yet. So I know we're waiting to see if maybe Eric Hosmer gets the goodbye from the car from the cubs but which is there's been pressure on him anyway because uh because matt mervis came up so there's uh, you know what i like about what the cubs are doing i feel like is um is it panic is it panic to you i don't know it it's it maybe it's panic but i think it's 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 a little bit more like uh, like okay we banked some wins we're a little bit better than people thought and let's continue to make this team better, right? That's how I see it. I know that they've hit a skid where they started losing some games. So you could read this as just the similar panic to the Cardinals. But they're uh, they're not that they're not that panicky to me. It's like we we're calling up two young kids that we think are good. You know, is that, that yeah. super panicky? I don't know. It seems like a good idea. <laughs> and, and we're releasing some old guys that weren't as good as we thought they might be. I think it's very reasonable. I think what's interesting here with Morell is he's still striking out a lot, 30.6% of the time, but gets always to be part of his profile. Do we trust the barrel rate from the debut last year? 13.4%. If he's going to barrel the ball as much as he did last year, he can live with that high K rate because he walks a bit. He's got speed. He has lots of ways of providing value. That's what I'm saying. If you're going to have somebody who uh, might be below league average, uh, you know, with the stick overall, have somebody that can play you you know, any position and run into a homer and steal you a bag, right? It's like, if I'm, you know, Morel and and Hosmer, uh, the projections might actually be kind of similar in terms of just at the plate. But Morel is going to do something, everything better for you. 
and I'm speaking here as if I know what the corresponding move is. I don't know exactly, but um, you know, this that would make some sense to me is is just to have a, a way more flexible roster, right? Because with Mancini and Mervis, you you've got first base covered. So yeah. you know, you want you want really to have somebody who can help you in you know on defense in the on the field and stuff like that. Well, and Morel too, he fits into our conversation from about two weeks ago with the tools. You know, you look at the Fangraph scouting grades, 55 present, future 60 raw power, 60 speed. The problem is the hit tool, but if you give him more and more opportunity, especially as your team kind of in the middle trying to find your way back into the postseason, maybe you get more mileage out of that hit tool. This is the sort of guy you do give the extra development time to because if it clicks, the payoff is huge. And even if it doesn't, it's still probably close by projection to those lower ceiling older guys that you're talking about. And, and look at look at the WRC pluses projected. They're all actually pretty close. 96 to 98 is the range from Steamer to the Bad X and, and to the ATC system. So that's fine. That works for a guy that can Should play all over. a league average player. I mean, last year he was sim- very similar to that. A little bit over uh, uh, 100 in WRC plus, but, and the defense wasn't great. But they also asked him to play short, you know? And he doesn't necessarily need to play short anymore when they got Nico Horner and Nancy Swanson on this team. So, you know, I think the defensive numbers will be a positive in, at third and second and center or, or outfield or wherever they put him. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's just going to be more helpful and, and more of a uh, give them more flexibility than having three first basemen on the roster. He's basically the backup at six positions. He doesn't have a spot to call his own, right? Horner's a starter at second. Patrick Wisdom's a starter at third. Dansby Swanson's the shortstop. Hat Bellinger and Suzuki are all locked in across the outfield. The DH could be open. That could float, depending on how much they want to play Mancini. So, yeah, six or seven spots could all... It could be like one start per week across each of those different spots playing the matchups, and it's four or five starts per week in total for Morrell pretty easily. So, curious to see if he can continue the positive momentum that he had uh, at AAA. Uh, one other note I saw as we were getting ready for the show today, Matt Strom, who's now for at least for the time being in the bullpen for the Phillies, had a two-inning save. They used Jose Alvarado in the seventh inning of that game. I think with Strom, the lack of heavy workloads in the past make him a bit of a challenging player. There also is some schedule stuff going on this week. The Phillies are among the teams that have two off days. They don't play on Monday. They won't play on Thursday, and they're off again next Thursday. So you pair the schedule with Ranger Suarez coming back with the past workload concerns. I think that kind of gets you the answer to, why is Matt Strom not starting? I don't know if they're really going to use Bailey Falter over Matt Strom in their rotation very long. That seems like a very temporary thing. Yeah, I think this is a a managing innings thing trying to uh, win games and keep people healthy for later. They're an interesting spot to be 16 and 19, but just getting Bryce Harper back um, still doesn't solve. Like there's still the question can Bryce Harper pitch sort of deal. Um, And, you know, they, they would have been a lot better off if they'd been able to go to Andrew Painter here. But if you were going to ask me which one is more likely to stay in the rotation, I'm definitely going with Matt Strom over Bailey Falter. Got a, a dog chewing away on her paws in the background. It's very distracting to hear a dog <laughs> just gnawing away over your headphones. She, you, can't, you can't see her. You can't hear her on the show. But she, uh, if you hear me clicking in the background, it's just trying fighting to tell Hazel. her to stop. <laughs> trying to get her to stop without kicking her out of the room because the rest of the house is peaceful right now. Everyone's happy. So I don't want to 
it introduces new variables. Jump up into the bed, uh, and sometimes they decide they need to do that shake that dogs do, and sometimes yeah. that happens like maybe a foot from my face, and <laughs> it's like the first thing I encounter in the morning is a dog violently shaking itself by my face. At least your dog is small. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that helps. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to a few mailbag questions. Uh, Andrew sent us a handful, and I think we talked about Jack Sawinski last week as you said maybe a ceiling of a 30 homer, 10 steel guy. And I think the question from Andrew was, who Batting does he average. compare to? Yeah, I, I think it's Ty- I think it's Tyler O'Neill. I think it's good Tyler O'Neill. If you say, mm. what is this profile like? It's that. Similar yeah. range of outcomes on the top. Maybe a similar range of outcomes toward the bottom too, though, if the swing and miss you know, gets elevated for a prolonged stretch. Yeah, there's definitely uh, that sort of risk uh, because of the strikeout rate. And I want to look at this rolling strikeout rate. Oh, man, he had really uh, done some some good work uh, keeping the, the rolling strikeout rate close to 25% early in the season, which, um, you know, he's had stretches like that. And in fact, last year, uh, from games sort of 50 through 80 last year, um, he did a lot of work cutting a strikeout rate and had the rolling strikeout rate close to 20% at one point. Uh, but he's a streaky guy. He's as you often are with uh, a big strikeout rate like this. And right now the strikeout rate is going the wrong direction. The rolling strikeout rate is approaching 40%. So as much as I'd hoped that he was really making uh, some good progress at making more contact, I think he is just a, three true outcome athlete if that makes sense you know like he's a three true outcome guy who can steal bases you just never sure where the batting average is going to end up and so yeah i think tyler neal is a good comp for that when it works that's a top 100 player though as you suggested last week it's a weird uh another weird one it's a one from the back in the day i'm going to see if i'm right on this yeah mike cameron but Mike Cameron struck out less, but it was at a time when the league struck out less. And like 
older Mike Cameron was like 240, 25, and 15. He's probably not as fast as Mike Cameron was. Yeah, that's yeah. I would say Cameron almost certainly was faster at its peak. Yeah. If my memory serves me right, Mike Cameron had some pretty big stolen base numbers earlier in his career, especially. Yeah, he got two ninety seven for his career, and he had uh, he had a year in Seattle two sixty seven, twenty five homers, thirty four steals, one hundred and ten RBI. It was a really nice peak season there. The other questions that came in here, one was about Cody Bellinger producing despite some blue ink on his StatCast page. Look, I think if, you, if you're looking at Cody Bellinger right now, the first thing you look at is the strikeout rate. Mm-hmm. Where's the strikeout rate? It's actually good again. 19.1% entering play on Monday. The barrel rates actually are pretty close to his career norms. 9.9% is, his, is Cody Bellinger's career barrel rate. He's at 8.3% so far this season, so that's fine. I don't think I'm that worried about the you know, the average exit velocity, the hard hit percentage, those things being a little on the lower side because he's stealing bases. He's not striking out. He's still getting to the power anyway. It's mostly everything pull. I think out of his seven homers, six have been pulled to right field. So all this sort of works for me. Playing good defense in center field, that's fine. Uh, at this point, is it similar to what we were talking about with Nolan Arenado in the past where as long as the approach kind of works to get to the power. He doesn't have to scald everything, and we can live with these light blue stat cast indicators. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had another year um, that I think provides us a little bit of a roadmap. Um, 2018, uh, struck out 24% of the time with a similar barrel rate, a barrel rate as he has now, um, and hit 260 with 25 homers and 14 steals. Um, he had different sliders back then, though. If you look, if you look back at the what those hard hit rates and stuff looked like, they were better. They were red. Yeah, it's true. He did. Um, he did hit the ball hard. I don't think he's all the way back. Then maybe it's one of those things where he's just not going to get it all the way back. And so, if there is any number on his line right now that I am a little nervous about, it's the power. But because I think you're right, though, you look at the strikeout rate because. That is going to be why he hits 260. That's why I brought up the 260, right? That's why he can hit 260 going forward, whereas the projections are are saying more like 240. And so I'm going to take a 260 average going forward and and maybe a 25 homer pace, even though he looks like he's on like a 42 homer pace or like, you know right. 38 homer pace. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, recalibrate that in my head to where he ends up around 25, 27 homers on the season. So 260, 20 homers uh, from here on out, and uh, 10, 10 to 12 stolen bases, maybe more. I mean, once you start taking off a lot and having success like he's having, nine stolen bases and 10 attempts, like why can't he steal 30 this year? He's been good for his career. He's 71 for 86 as a base dealer. If he doesn't have the same absurd power that he had back at his peak, then this is the way to turn it around and make that value. I mean, he's on a one-year deal right now has a shot to get paid. And when you get have a shot to get paid, what do you see people do for some reason? Steal a lot of bases. I guess it's it's going to be part of the discussion, right? Like Aaron, Aaron Judge stole the most bases in his contract year. There's definitely other players who've done that. Yeah, so I think it's Bellinger 2.0, but this works. This actually looks like a guy that has found something that is much more sustainable. I don't think he's quite the batting average liability the projections would suggest because they've got so much of the the 21 and 22 numbers just baked in there. This looks like it is a good step in the right direction for Bellinger to be 
you know, productive player for the next three to four years. Love that he can steal bases like that, too. I mean, I think he's he's got a shot at 25 to 30 steals. That's very realistic with nine in the bank already through 31 games. Yeah, I think it'll be a 25-25 season. He'll, the batting average may come and go a little bit as he, you know, he he does. There are places you can pitch to him and he has to adjust to those and, and adjust back and so on and so forth. But, you know, a 280, he'll finish the season with like a 280 average and 25 homers and 25 steals, I would say. Maybe more steals. The other part of Andrew's question was an unrelated question about Brandon Woodruff. And he was curious just where things stand, if we should be optimistic about him coming back and, and being himself. Woodruff is only... He's only made two starts this year. The last comments I saw were in an Adam McKelvey story. Their general manager, Matt Arnold, described the MRI that Woodruff had in late April as very positive relative to what it could have been at the time. This is the target date for return was the end of June. Those are That's like the weirdest two things to say. Hey, it looks great. Yeah, he's still back in two months. Right. <laughs> I guess it's better than, yeah, he tore his labrum and is having surgery. So. <laughs> I think by by simple like necessity, they have to play this carefully because Woodruff is a guy they're going to have around for at least one more season, barring a trade. If they have designs on trading him, they need to get him back to full health anyway. If they have designs on winning with him, got to get him back. You can't, you can't bring him back too soon. And one thing I saw a quote from Woodruff was about how if this injury had happened around the All-Star break, he'd be out for the season, right? So if you kind of take that timetable and shift it to when the injury happened, that probably means he's out until after the All-Star break. Late June seems possible, but coming back out of the All-Star break seems a bit more likely if you have to forecast it right now. Especially because if it's at all close, right, you're just like, eh, you know, give him an extra. If you get him to the All-Star break, then he gets an extra five days when there, nobody's playing games. You know, right. So why wouldn't you use that unless yeah. everything was feeling really good? Yeah. So I, I'm erring on the side of pessimism right now based on Matt Arnold's description, based on Woodruff's description. I actually cut him in one of my NPC leagues two weeks ago now because I just felt like I couldn't wait. That roster was pretty squeezed. I said, I'm, mm. I'm going to err on the side of caution. I saw him get picked up in a couple leagues where he was cut for pretty significant fab bids already. That's a tough hold. I get it. We're talking about a possible top five starting pitcher if he comes back and he's himself, but that's the other part of this coming off a shoulder injury. What if the velo's down? What if the command's not there? Like that's always a lingering problem when we're talking about guys coming off of arm injuries, they may not be the players they were when they got hurt. So I don't know. I'm, I'm worried, but um, hoping he gets back of course for, for every possible reason. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, uh, I, I felt like, uh, I got real horse vibes off him, but then, you know, he did have the Raynaud syndrome, um, you know, marker there, which <clears throat> we don't know. It hasn't happened a lot. So we don't really have comps. I mean, everything, so, so much of what we do in this is, is trying to find comps, trying to find, you know, what has happened before when this thing has happened. And I don't think this is, uh, you know, I may be speaking from, uh, uninformed place, but I don't think this is something that I've heard of lot a lot before recently. And so, if you're trying to comp it back to something else, like like who else have you heard that had this problem? I feel like it's him. I just heard Peter Fairbanks was dealing with it a little bit. Yeah. So I, what I wonder is, I wonder if if this has been misdiagnosed in the past, right? If you yeah, had what pictures thoracic outlet. That's what it's the symptoms of this sounded like thoracic outlet initially, and. 
I still worry about stuff like that right. because it's an increasingly prevalent injury that we see pop up and it's career altering in many cases. So that's what we know right now about Woodruff, but the way that was described by Matt Arnold didn't exactly give me a, a lot of confidence that things were going to come in ahead of schedule for Brandon Woodruff. Got a question here about Jaron Duran. Is Jaron Duran a post-hype sleeper? Pete wrote in, writes, I was all over this guy in 2021 when his power started showing in the minors. He looked like a real dual threat, but after repeated poor showings at the big league level, I kind of forgot about him until last week when I saw some nice exit velocities and snapped him up again on a whim. So, is this potentially real? I mean, Duran, I think, has been scooped up in a lot of the mid-sized and deeper leagues, but even for shallow leagues, he is starting to look like someone that, if he's still out there, he might be rosterable in an 8-team league or a 10-team league because a lot of the indicators are really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's obviously a, a kind of an injury component to this um, in that uh, Adam Duvall was, was playing center field for them and uh, fractured his... Wrist? Yeah, I think it was a wrist injury. Right? Yeah, on a catch, right? Um, anyway, uh, the, he's on the 60-day injured list. Um, and uh, so it's going to be a while that he gets back. But there is some question of like what happens when they are fully healthy. And for me, I think Duran is my center fielder. Uh, I think Duvall was always uh, a surprisingly good fielder. Um, but not someone that uh, I totally believe in. And Darren Duran has all the tools for it. I know he's run poor routes. routes. I know that we've seen there's like an iconic moment from last season where he's standing there, has no idea where the ball is, and the ball drops next to him. I know all of that, but I prefer to look a little bit more into the numbers. And, you know, his outs above average are fine. His tools uh, are fine. They would lead to good defense and center. And then uh, at the plate, he finally uh, really cut the swing and miss. And swinging strike rate, um, you know, becomes stable before uh, a lot of other things. It's it's already showing us a lot of information. And so to for him to cut his swinging strike rate almost fifty percent from last year is something that we should keep an eye on. And you know, the tools just seem to be translating. I think. And this is a little bit like the story that we tell uh, for like a Christopher Morrell, where it's like, you know, this is a guy who runs hard, throws hard, hits the ball hard. And, you know, maybe it, maybe it didn't all come together the first two tries, but this time it kind of looks like it is. And so I think he's a buy in all formats. I, I don't know that I, I believe him at this is a, you know, 366 batting average on a 471 Babbitt. This no one's saying that can happen, but uh, you know, do I think he can maybe have like a 275 average and the kind of true talent that would give you 20, 20, 20, 22 homers and, and 25 steals on a season. Yeah, he's very exciting. Probably for me, like a notch, just a half notch below what we were just talking about with Cody Bellinger. I think there are some longer term playing time concerns, at least big side platoon concerns that would maybe cap him a little bit. But I do think Duran is delivering a bit later than expected on the, the potential he should. Really going back to the alternate site. I always I will always remember Jaron Duran as a player that during the 2020 season, made adjustments and we couldn't see it in games because there was no minor league season and then we were waiting and waiting and now a few years later it finally seems like it is paying off for him so easily rosterable in shallow leagues for now um, and probably a guy that does stick on rosters for a while because of that power speed combo I do think it's speed over power so if you said yeah. 25 steals and 15 homers I might be more on board with that but probably like a 260 to 270 average to go along with it pretty good counting stats 
as well. But, you know, good raw, like good max EV, so good raw power. And, you know, this is the best barrel rate he's shown. Now, obviously, it's 80 plate appearances, so it can regress. But, you know, does does have the, the sort of raw power aspect to it. And, you know, his raw power grades were better than his game power grades. However, you're right. The raw power grades were 45-45, so it's not I'm, not... I'm just not sure that's completely correct. Yeah, yeah, I think the adjustments he made maybe have opened up another level in that area. Thanks a lot for that question, Pete. Got a couple questions here from Daniel. And in the most recent starting pitcher ranks, Drew Rasmussen popped as the second best pitching plus at 115 compared to a 117 from Jacob deGrom, but he's still ranked number 22 among pitchers. What are you seeing at least at the low rank relative to the model? Now, I think I have a guess. My guess is that Drew Rasmussen is a guy that's had two Tommy John surgeries, and there is a extremely high amount of risk in his profile because of his injury <clears throat> history. But is there more to it than that? The earlier you have Tommy John surgery, uh, the more likely, the shorter your career is, the more likely you are to have it again. And the second time you have a Tommy John surgery, the failure rates are worse. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, the likelihood of you, uh, being injured again is more, uh, that's a big part of it. But then also part of it is usage. I know that they're not quite babying him like they did last uh, year, but, uh, you know, in his last four starts, he, the furthest he's gone is five and two thirds. So he's not useful in quality start leagues. I know that my rankings aren't explicitly for quality start leagues, but there are enough people looking at them to play those, and there's enough reason to want to want wins um, that uh, you know that kind of dinged him. So it's a little bit of how it's a, kind of a raised wide uh, dampening that happens sometimes um, in terms of how they use their pitchers, and then uh, yeah, injury risk. But if you look, you know, he's pitched really well. And uh, he, he, you know, he got those three wins off the bat, but, you know, two of those wins, he pitched seven innings and six innings. So since those first two starts where he pitched that much, he's averaged under five innings an outing and had one win. He has destroyed a few bad teams along the way. Those first two starts were on the road against the Nats and then home against the A's. I mean, a ton of value. Just destroyed the Yankees. What are you saying about the Yankees? (laughs) Oh, the, the Yankees, <laughs> Sands Judge, nothing I, to scare. Nothing I to think scare we're putting anyway. uh, JP Sears into our lineup for the two tap at New York and then home against somebody. Oh, he's already in. I, I'm not even. <laughs> you'll even see me reaching for the computer. He's he's already in. I'm I'm on. I'm on board with the, with JP Sears right now. So hopefully I'm uh, not eating my words. I, I'm also hoping for the revenge narrative for jp sears that's right it's a, it's that could work that could that could work just get him through that that start without giving up a lot of runs you know also lefties in that park are are not as uh, susceptible to the home runs as righties because of the, the way it's configured i know i brought this up when jp sears was first getting a chance in oakland's rotation but the numbers he posted at triple a from 2021 through 2022 were a re- really good a sub one whip he had a, a two ERA or sub two ERA last year and a sub three ERA in his first run at Scranton back in 2021. So I just hope that JP Sears thinks about every night he spent in Scranton instead of with the big club and just takes it all out on the current version of the Yankees lineup. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> you a very vengeful JP Sears. And you traded me to Oakland? <laughs> you sent me to Oakland? Not because Oakland itself is bad. You sent me to the A's. Yeah. You sent me to the A's. Come on. You sent me to a team that's just nowhere close 
I could have helped you. That's the rage I want to see JP Sears tap into. Thanks a lot for that question, Daniel. I'll get one more from Daniel for tomorrow's rundown. It's more of a dynasty question, so we'll save that for Project Prospect. I had a question here from Paul. Paul wanted to know, with innings pitched, if you are falling behind the pace because you've got a few injured pitchers. So if you've got like Woodruff, Glass now, and you're kind of just cobbling it together with waiver wire pitchers, and you start to fall behind in Ks especially, when do you start to worry about that? And how do you stay on track when you're waiting for aces to come back? So what's what's the move? Do you still stay conservative with some of your streaming decisions this early in the season, thinking that if you need to make up that ground later, you can kind of push more two-start pitchers at that time? Like, How do you want to handle that, especially in leagues that have an innings cap, too? That's the other trick is that you need innings by the end of the season. You're not getting enough innings now, but can you trust that you'll get enough innings between now and August before guys start getting shut down to still hit those targets? And should you be... Uh, wasting innings in an innings cap situation on streamers and suboptimal players when you have these other players that will come back and give you better innings. Um, Yeah, I think it's okay. I think it's okay to fall behind a little bit. I think you can make up uh, innings when people are healthy. Um, But I wouldn't want to fall behind I don't know. I should have like a mathed out number for this, but like, there's got to be just a feel for it too. Like, I wouldn't want to fall behind, like a hundred innings behind or two hundred. Like, I I was just an auto new. I was looking, and they they have a really cool thing that says at the bottom what you're on pace for, and uh, they have an innings cap of fifteen hundred. And I was on pace for thirteen eighty, and that was the first time that I said, okay, I need to go get somebody. And and I got JP Sears. <laughs> so I mean that's uh that's how I, I would do it is once it starts to be a hundred or two hundred behind pace, that's a little bit harder to make up. But if you're in that sort of fifty to seventy-five off of pace, that's that's what you'd get when those guys come back. Right. Cause the difference between the aces you're holding on to and the JP Sears types, it's maybe one ish inning per start. I mean, realistically, how much how much of a workload is Glass now going to have on a per-start basis for most of his starts? He's probably going to be six or less the majority of the time. Woodruff, if he gets back healthy by late July or August, could be going seven on occasion. But it's not going to be not every start. It's not how that's going to be. Go. It will be pitchers on your roster that are not pitching at all that will start pitching. So you will, mm-hmm. you will start to pick up against pace. You'll go okay. over pace when they're back. If you can stay anywhere close to pace with them out. Right. So, because you'll have that that ability to keep an auto new, especially with daily moves. Daily moves leagues, it's much easier to make up that ground. Yeah. Weekly leagues, I find it to be a lot harder if you're that's falling behind in those point. counting stats. That's a good point. In fact, in weekly leagues, I think that's a big part of why Jeff Zimmerman and uh, a lot of the NFBC players that do well, um, they mostly do well in the counting stats, and they do that because they maximize playing time, and they will drop a Brandon Woodruff immediately, and they will be pretty cutthroat about these things uh, because in a weekly lineup, it is hard. Yeah, you have to put a certain amount of pitchers. You can't just be like, oh, this week I'm putting in 10 pitchers. <laughs> you know, there's no way to sort of like pick up the pace, you know? 
No, the thing you can do, the only lever you can pull is to use fewer relievers. So then you have to have enough but saves then, or feel good right, about saves or be saves. bad enough in saves where you can't move up in saves. And you've tanked the category. So it's another Clark Griswold example stuck in the, the Hoover Dam, plugging one leak, but causing another one. Breaking news, breaking news. Breaking news, 44 seconds in, Laura Albanese says, Aaron Judge says he hasn't felt anything in the hip for five days. I hope it's still there. Just a bad joke. And will be activated tomorrow. <laughs> My hip feels Aaron dead Judge inside. Is back. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Aaron Judge is back just in time for oh, my J.P. Sears start. God, get him out. Get him out. Where's my laptop? <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that might be a, a re- this is actually a Would hard thing about playing that change your idea matchups? about a two start? I mean, I like it because it's a two start and one of the starts is in Oakland. And I'm just hoping that Sears basically survives the first one with, you know, a, a bunch of K's or enough of K's and, you know. That's about all I'm hoping for. I really want the second game. <laughs> is it really is it really that much of a difference having him back versus it matters. It 100% matters. But as far as not playing a guy, he has to be right on the borderline of your lineup. I mean, other people have to get on base for him to matter, right? So like he could like he could hit a homer tomorrow and JP Sears can still win. <laughs> yes. But if if uh if he hits a homer and three guys are on base then that's a different story. We talked about this with the Astros too, right? Altuve is not there. That's not the reason why the Astros are below average offensively. Other guys are also slumping. Mm-hmm. And with the Yankees, you know, you can put you can put Judge back in the lineup. Clearly, that makes them better. There's no no argument against that. But Stanton's still missing. That matters on a per game basis. So. Are they 90% of the lineup they're projected to be with Judge coming back? And without him, they were 70 or 75%. Quantifying these things matters. I mean, I think one area that I've, I've said for a few years that I, I still don't feel great about is in-season projections. I know there's lots of places that do them. I still feel like I don't use them enough or I don't use them correctly. And measuring the quality of a lineup with or without certain players is probably that area that I'm looking to improve the most because this matters. This should be quantified. And especially with Sears is very borderline in a non two start week. The two start week probably keeps him in my lineup, even though I like that matchup against the Yankees a lot less with judge coming back. Well, what did I say about Ross Stripling last week when we didn't pitch him for this two star week was, you know, we didn't pitch him because we were worried about Houston. And, uh, we would have, if we did, if we were going to pitch him, we were going to pitch him, uh, and hope he just survived the Houston start and uh, and then thrived with Milwaukee at home. And guess what he did? Shut down Houston and gave up five runs in five innings to Milwaukee at home. So uh, that's if that if that was the model for series, he's going to shut down the Yankees and get blown up at home. Well, yeah, that's how it goes. But that's part of the reason why you take two start weeks more often than not, right? You don't know exactly when someone's going to have their best day or their worst day and you got to take your chances so play the bulk game even though it's the a's in a two-start week probably takes win probability from like 0.25 and bumps it up to 0.5 most starters they get two starts you expect one win i think you're still looking at like a half win sort of projection for sears because that bullpen is so bad and i don't he think he almost of us trust got them their first win he was close he was really close 
So if anyone's going to do it, it's either him or Mason Miller, I think, based on what we've seen so far. Had one more question for today's episode. This one came in from Darren, and Darren wants to know if you can elaborate a bit on how bad a pitch must be to register a negative value in the stuff plus model. A few examples, and this maybe is a sample size thing. Steven Wilson and Gregory Santos have negative grades on their changeups. Shintaro Fujinami at one point had a negative 46 on his cutter. How does that happen? Uh, it's just, uh, yeah, it's usually uh, a pitch that's been thrown one or, one or two or three times and, uh, and just, you know, just really did not look good to, according to the model. But, uh, the people that get the most negatives are, uh, the position players, <laughs> yeah, the position players up there, which kind of gets to the last part of Darren's email. Is this what it's like for an adult batting against a six-year-old in the backyard? (laughs) When the position players come out, it kind of is like that. I brought the uh, pocket radar to Little League batting practice yesterday uh, and uh, was trying to get them exit velocities and see what the the machine was throwing. I think the machine was throwing 40. I I, I think I did get that. I got a couple exit velocities in the 50s, which is possible with the stronger players. Um, and then uh, I was trying to get, I was trying to do it behind the mound uh, for one of the kids, and it said he threw 112. And the kids was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Miller threw 112! Oh my god!" <laughs> of course, yeah, most of them were like, "Whatever." Your thing sucks. <laughs> I always think it's it's kind of fun when they have the Little League World Series broadcasts on ESPN. Of course, the mound to home plate distance is shorter, and they they adjust the velo, like the the effective velocity. Of oh, what it's like when a kid's throwing sixty five or seventy or whatever they top out at in the Little League World Series, and how that's basically like guys throwing ninety five because the mound's so close to the plate wow. as far as your reaction time goes. So that's kind of a, a fun twist. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can fudge the numbers that way to get the kids really excited about how hard they're throwing. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've got another game tonight. Let's go all house. They're in the playoffs. They had a walk-off win in their first playoff game. And so tonight they've got another playoff uh, game today. And uh, rooting for my kids. Walk-offs are fun at every single level. It was a walk-off pop fly that... Oh, well, it's a little less fun. Still fun for them. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to leave those details out. Yeah, right. No, it was was hit hard, just straight up. We did have a kid. (laughs) I I moved away. I I think I was going to be on the Little League All-Star team the year I had to move away. That kind of sucked. Bad timing. The team I would have been on, a kid hit a walk-off Grand Slam. So that was pretty cool. Like a real one or... Like an actual walk-off Grand Slam, like an over-the-fence Grand Slam. Yeah, That's pretty cool. So if I had been on that team, that might not have happened because I might have struck out enough times where it wouldn't have happened. You know, who knows? Who knows? My kids happened. are in the in the PCL, so uh, nobody's. <laughs> I think the the max distance on a fly ball so far is probably like 150. The PCL ball doesn't fly that much out here where we are. Yeah, it's pretty cold actually. It's pretty cold, and that, that, that's there are park factors even in Little League. <laughs> you should provide those to the other parents to give them more context <laughs> to what their kids are doing. On, uh, yeah, speaking on of note, negative stuff, plus 
<laughs> on that note, before you shatter anyone's dreams exactly. at the age of 10, we're going to go. Uh, if you'd like a subscription to The Athletic, a dollar a month, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels for $2 a month, you can send us an email and we'll tell you how terrible your kids are <laughs> at baseball. It's going to cost you an extra dollar, though. <laughs> Reverse cameos. <laughs> <laughs> Reverse cameos. On Twitter, you know, is at, you know, Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you've got a question for a future episode, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Actually, send it to the other one, rates and barrels at gmail.com. Or you can ask in the comment section under this video on YouTube. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>